Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Um, I'm going to be interviewing a really interesting guy. I picked up his book maybe a year or two ago, Mark Jeftovic. He has a book called Unassailable, Protect Yourself from Deplatform Attacks, Cancel Culture, and Other Online Disasters. Incredibly relevant title for our time. I went through the book and I found a lot of useful information on it and I wanted to interview him. So, Mark, thanks for coming. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background. Usually when people write about something, it means they've had to deal with the things they write about. We usually deal with the other side of it, we haven't been, so I run a company called EasyDNS, uh, EasyDNS.com out of Toronto. We started as a DNS provider and a domain registrar. We've been doing that since 1998 and we've since added web hosting and VPS hosting and that sort of thing. And so we haven't really been the target of cancel culture in the sense that no one's tried to cancel easy DNS, at least not yet, but we see other people, you know, people being deplatformed, people being canceled. And a lot of times they'll come to us and we'll mm. help them get back online. And so then we sort of face this, this pressure of like, well, you have to take such and such a person down. And we're like, not really. Uh, no, we don't. Yeah, I was going to ask, and you don't have to name names on who you can if you want, but what is the reasoning why, like who will tell you to take people down and why? Well, that's exactly the issue. So in our minds, well, it's, it's actually foundation of law. You can't just send an email that causes somebody to take, like that causes somebody's business to stop functioning. So you can't send someone an email in a reasonable world and say, I don't like what this person is doing. I want you to take the website down. And they think that it's 
mission accomplished at that point. That's not the way the world works. There has to be a legal due process. There has to be a finding in law somewhere or within the bounds of our contracts with places like ICANN and VeriSign. Uh, there has to be strict procedural reasons why somebody's livelihood or domain name or, or thoughts or words should be taken offline. Just pointing at a website and saying that's illegal is not a reason. Even when one time we, we got into it with the city of London in the UK, uh, the intellectual property crime unit emailed all the registrars and they said, you've got to take these websites down and you've got to redirect their traffic to this IP address. And we were looking at this saying, why? Because they're illegal. Okay, where's the court finding that says they're illegal? Well, we're telling you they're illegal. Well, we live in a society that's premised on innocence, the assumption of innocence and the right to due process. So until that happens, most of the time, you know, we're not going to take down a website just because somebody tells us to. Yeah, good for you. And you're right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these major providers of either you know domain names or registrar or hosting, uh, they'll just take your stuff down if someone complains or what? what's required in order for this to happen? Yeah, a lot of times, especially for larger entities, we're a small operation. I mean, we've been going a long time, uh, but a small team, we kind of punch above our weight in terms of global footprint. But we're small enough to be aware of most of the goings on that's going on across the system. But a larger company with, say, millions of domain names under management, all you really have to do is yell at them. And for them, it's easier to just do it. Like, you know, they've already like incurred more of a, of a support cost, even thinking about it, than they will actually make on the customer. So for them, it's just the, the, the effort versus reward. It's just easy to just say, hey, you violated our terms of service. We're taking you down. Goodbye. And so I see remarkable conversations on Twitter with companies. I'll, I'll leave them unnamed, but you'll see the Twitter mob form and say, Hey, so-and-so this, this website is on your system and it's evil because of X, Y, Z. And then a couple minutes later, you just see a tweet coming back saying, yes, thanks. We've looked at it. We've taken them down. Okay. And that's to me, I mean, I, I just, that's appalling. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. Not even a kangaroo court. It's just, I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. So what these companies will say, Oh, you just, I mean, from what I've seen, they'll say, um, Oh, you, you didn't follow our terms of service. And you'll say, well, what didn't I follow? And they say, read the terms of service. And you read right. it. And then you say, all right, what do they do? And they just say, read the terms of service. Like, it just seems to me impunity. They do whatever they want. It doesn't matter. Yeah, most terms of service are take it or leave it. You don't like it, don't come here. And uh, they've got some catch-alls in there, like you violated our community standards. Like what? Well, you got people yelling at us on Twitter. That, those are our community standards. What kind of attacks have you had or observed that are, you know, important or revealing about what's uh, what's going on? I would say, so the big one, the most famous one we were involved with was WikiLeaks in 2010. So that was actually a, a government attack. The U.S. government was trying to take down WikiLeaks and their DNS provider took them down. And it was kind of a weird story because just through a complete and total fluke, everyone thought that we were the DNS provider that took them down. So that was our first sort of brush in with a, with a mob. They were coming at us for taking down WikiLeaks. 
turned out it was a complete mistake. But what ended up happening was we were contacted by some people who said, well, can you take on WikiLeaks? And so a couple of their mirror sites came on board. Uh, the .org got caught in limbo, but WikiLeaks came on board and then nothing really happened. We didn't have any pressure coming at us from the government to take them down. We thought we would. We were digging in for it. We were talking to our lawyers, but it never happened. Since then, that was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Since then, the culture has changed a lot. And so people just, they, they organize and they almost have this sense of entitlement that if we shriek and yell loud enough, they have a moral duty to take down who we say we want them to take down. So we had a, you know, I won't name too many names unless I know I can, but we had a Tesla whistleblower on the system about a year and a half ago. And that was one of the conversations I saw where the Tesla fanatics, Elon's flying monkeys, I've heard them called, were just piling on their previous web hosts and the web host says, yep, yeah, okay, they're down, they're gone. And then they come onto our system. And then you sort of see these people teeing it up. Like I see first a bunch of tweets saying, okay, here's their new provider. Here's their phone number. Here's their email address. Here's their support queue. Here's a standard question, like a stock uh, demand that you're going to pile on them. Everybody go. And it all starts coming in. And we really just put out one tweet. We said, we've looked at this site. It doesn't violate our terms of service case closed. And they yelled and screamed and stamped their feet for about another 12 hours. And then it just all stopped. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. Oh, good. So the the, the tantrum was over. Yeah. Everything was okay. Yeah. If these were responded to by actual real adults and real companies like yours, mm -hmm. do you think that these are mostly just tantrums and they would stop the same way? Well, what the, what a lot of these companies can't make the mental connection in their minds is that the people screaming at them on Twitter are not their customers, okay? But they react as if they were. And so they become afraid and they say, well, you know, these people are all yelling at us and they're going to start a boycott against us. And, you know, some of them may be a small business and not a huge business. And they might say, I don't know if we can endure a boycott, but the reality is most of your real customers, most of your actual customers, they don't care. They're living their lives. They just want you to do your job and keep their website online. And they want you to respond to support requests and you want them to, they want you to act professionally. And all these other people, these, you know, social justice warriors or whatever on Twitter, they're not your customers. They will never be your customers. So you just have to tune out all that noise and say, look, sorry, this is not the way the world works. You can't stamp your feet and make stuff happen. Well, unfortunately, they're being taught that is the way the world works. For some yes, of them, they that's, are. that seems to be why they keep doing it. 
when the attack when attacks come is is this like the primary vehicle is people will email a you know a hosting provider and say take them down or are there other attacks that are common well it all starts out on the social media platforms right so that's the core message of the book unassailable is don't build your audience on twitter don't build your audience on facebook or instagram like if you think of yourself if you think of your followers on Twitter or your Facebook audience as your base, you have to make the mental shift and understand they're not your base. You're just, you have access to those people as long as you play by that other platform's rules. So what you really want to do is you want to get as many of your Twitter followers and Facebook likes back to your own system. You want your own domain name. You want your own website. And for God's sakes, you want your own email list. You want control over your own email list. And you want all of your subscribers and followers emails that you control because after they try to cancel you on Twitter and Facebook and the social media platforms, then they go after your web host. Then they go after your domain provider or your DNS provider. And they kind of start stalking you across those different places oh wow yeah i remember um even with email i mean i remember there was an article about mailchimp you know throwing certain people up their platform so i yeah, mailchimp moderates your content Mail, oh yeah i've never to use them because of that yeah yeah exactly mailchimp moderates your content you're paying them to decide whether your content is acceptable or not and so one of the things we we recommend in the book if you have the technical capacity even going to an alternative of MailChimp is, you know, has its own risk because you, your, your fate is in somebody else's hands. So there's an open source platform called Mautic, M-A-U-T-I-C.org. And that's what we use. So we install Mautic on a VPS and that's where we run our email list from. Because even one time we were using Clavio, I'll say their name, we send out a weekly tech bulletin to all easy DNS customers called access of easy. And one day they shut down our account because it contained the word Bitcoin and it was an automatic thing. It was their algo. And they said, well, you know, we're sorry. It was automatic and we've reversed it, but we just said, this is unacceptable. I mean, we have a multi-thousand dollar a month spend with you. We have to send out our emails every week and you're like having an automatic algo shutting down a customer, a paying customer. Forget it. So we set up Mautic and that's where we send our email list out for, out through now. And that way, we're the ones who decide what goes out, not some other company. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Yeah, that's, that's crazy that uh, people have to go to these levels. One thing you, you mentioned on social media, which I really like, is you said, you know, the, the followers are, uh, in order to access them, you're at that platform's whim, like, a Facebook group, you're at Facebook's whim or Twitter, you're at Twitter's whim. So you want to make sure you get those lists downloaded if possible or you know kept to your own self so that you can recontact the customers in case you get booted off. Absolutely. And you wanna you wanna view those those followers on those external platforms not as much as followers, as much as they are leads, because you could have a YouTube. YouTube is notorious for this. You could have a channel with a million subscribers. You could be a YouTube star. And then it's all over, snap of a finger, because they're gone. So what we recommend, I mean, one of the strategies in the book is put half your YouTube videos, half your video content on YouTube, and then 
at the intermission of the video, you say, okay, if you, if you like this video and you want to see the rest of it, the other half, come back to mywebsite.com. They put in their email address, they sign up for your mailing list, and then they get access to the rest of their content. And that way, if the hammer ever does fall, you've got most of your loyal viewers, you have their email address and you can keep them, you can stay in contact with them. So always use those external platforms as a lead generation, just capture those email addresses. I mean, even in this day and age, even in 2021, email is the most valuable method of contacting your viewers, your followers, your customers, your subscribers. It's still email after all these years. I guess a a condensed way to say it as well is your followers on social media are not your customers. They may can become them, but they're not your customers. They're just, they clicked on subscribe or follow, but you know, you still have a long way to go for them to either be customers or they could easily turn and become your enemies too. It sounds like. They're not yours until you have them in your database. As long as they're in Twitter's database or Facebook's database, you're just getting access to them as long as you play by their rules. Yeah, it makes sense. Do you have a, um, I mean, in the book, it describes all the things you can do, but do you have a, a set program with different levels for companies that come to you and say, like, do you analyze their platform online and say, all right, here's where you're at risk. Here's what we recommend. And do you, do you offer that or do you offer just like DNS services and yeah, not, things like that? Yeah, it's that, that whole resisting de-platform attacks as a service, that's not something we actively do. It's not our core business. I mean, our core business is we deal with mainstream normal companies and people and governments and municipalities. I mean, that's our core user base. And I find you have a kind of a double-edged sword. If you're a company that specifically runs a flag up that's, you know, the free speech flag up the flagpole, hey, we're free speech and all of this, which we are. But if you actually, if your stated purpose is to be a free speech, non-cancelable platform, your problem is you kind of attract really hot potato people from the total fringes almost exclusively right off the bat. And then you have a hard time amassing a critical mass of just normal everyday users. You end up, you're gab or you're, or worse, right? And so that's, it's a catch 22. So that's why it's a little distressing that more companies aren't just saying, look, everybody has to have a fair shake at due process. All of these companies I wish would be incorporating this sort of ethos for free speech into the way they operate, but they don't. Because if you specifically go out and say, we're, you know, we're going to consult with you and help you stay online, it kind of pigeonholes you into being exclusively in that business. It's like, we thought about going into the DOS, the DDoS mitigation business back in the day, because DNS providers get hit with a lot of DOSs. And then we realized that if we go into that business, then we suddenly get pulled exclusively into that business. And we didn't want to be in that business exclusively. Does that, does that make sense to you? I think so. But uh, so regular companies come to you for primarily a DNS help, or again, is there a whole suite of things that you can, you can help companies do to protect themselves? Like again, you so you're not, you're not really doing consulting work where you're evaluating their profile. It's just, it's like specific needs that they come to you for again, yeah, I mean, just hosting and perhaps email. And then you provide that. Absolutely. I mean, we, we do that on an informal basis 
all the time. Like people will get referred to us and say, look, I'm having this problem. I'm getting, you know, I'm coming under attack here and here. And then we'll, we'll, for one thing I gave the, I give the book away for free now. So there's that. It's like, you know, you, you just download the PDF over here and then it, it will talk to you on a one-on-one basis. Usually I'm the person who will talk to you and say, okay, tell me your situation and okay, here's what I think you should do. You should, you know, for starters, you know, and, and then we, we do intervene sometimes, like sometimes uh, a registrar will shut down a domain and say, we're not going to let you transfer the domain out, even though registrars are not allowed, even though they're not allowed to stop you from transferring out, some still do. And so then we'll intervene and say, okay, look, we're a registrar. You're a registrar. We both know the rules here. How far do you want us? How far are you going to make us push it to make you follow the rules and let this domain go? So we do. We do that. Comes up from time to time. We just had to do that actually a couple of weeks ago for a for a client. Do you have the ability to uh, you know force the hand of a bad registrar to a, release a domain name? You have to have the will to do it because you have to go all the way up the chain to invoking an obscure ICANN process called the transfer, the transfer dispute resolution protocol. You have to, in some cases, and we did this once, you have to go all the way to arbitration with the National Arbitration Forum. You have to put up the money to open the arbitration case, and then the loser pays the fees. And the, the money to open an arbitration case can run like $5,000. So you really have to put your chips down to force this issue. And even though you and know that's, that a, you're just- that's, that's a problem because if you're down, you know, and this stretches into months and years, which I'm sure arbitration is not super fast, like the value of the domain gets compromised pretty quick within, I would think within a week. So what happens there? Are there damages or like, what do people do? Well, do people the, just give up? The arbitration actually turns around in a couple of weeks. And when we did it, we found out after the case that we were only the second registrar to ever do it. And I don't know if there's been any since. Usually you can resolve it beforehand. Like the people that we just got on board now, they were doing a lot of business. They were doing gangbusters business. So they had lawyers involved in the whole deal. And they just basically, you know, we went to the registrar, the lawyers came in and they and basically put you know how big do you want to make this because we're losing x thousand dollars a day and we're going to put you on the hook for it if you're not going to let this domain go so again you have to have the resources to do it or the will to do it i don't like the way the system is constructed so a lot of times you 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 sometimes you have to rename you have to jump onto another domain name and just pick a better registrar the second time through Always have your data backed up, for God's sakes. Have it backed up someplace else so you can at least spin up quickly. But it uh, can be problematic sometimes. So what um, if someone wants to be as close to bulletproof as possible, what are some of the steps they would have to take? You start with your domain name. You pick a registrar that's that's pretty committed to respecting your rights to it. We're pretty good with it. Uh, obviously, we're pretty good with it. There's a company down in the States called Epic epik.com who they will take on names that even we won't take on so they're i i know their ceo rob he's a, he's a real free speech absolutist and i mean there's some websites that we've never taken on like we had like neo-nazis have come to us and said can we come on your system and we've said no you can't and uh mm. 
we even we even took heat for that when that happened. But Rob's line is in a different place than ours is. And so Epic.com will take on some pretty hot button sites. Like they took on 8chan when they got deplatformed and and uh, I think Parler when they got deplatformed. So there are a few registrars that that will respect your rights more than others. And there are some who are worse than others. I won't, I, I don't really want to name the names of the ones who are worse, but you can like yep. search on Twitter and the internet and catch a good a good sense of who they are. So again, what what would you need to do? We we started it, you know, to become essentially as close to bulletproof as possible. So you need to have a good registrar. What else? Hosting. So try to manage as many of your services under your own name as possible. So if you're using email to communicate a lot, then don't use Gmail, even if you are using Gmail. So what I mean by that is there are ways to set your domain up. There are ways to set up a lot of these external third parties to use your own domain name, like a custom domain. So whenever you can do that, if you must use an external party to facilitate some service, do it in a way that it's referenced using your own domain name. So at the very worst, if that vendor cuts you off, you at least can rebuild your infra- that piece of your infrastructure someplace else and everyone who's trying to send you email or everyone who, who's trying to you know, talk to you via chat or something, they, that name stays the same for them. And so they don't lose, they only temporarily lose contact with you. It re, you know, restores contact once you're back and up back up and running. In other words, you never want to have to try and get the word out to all of your customers. Stop emailing us at the following address and start emailing us at this new address. You never want to have to do that. You just want to say, we had a temporary interruption because of X, Y, and Z, and everything is back to normal. And then people just keep all of their updates and their 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 contacts and their bookmarks all stay the same for them. And so they're still referencing you by your own domain name. Okay. So domain name, so registrar, host, email service provider. What are some other parts of the attack surface that are important to sew up? Payments, right? So payments is harder. So I've been a big crypto advocate for years now. So accept Bitcoin if you're a business or you know some of the other cryptos or have multiple payment providers, because PayPal and MasterCard and Visa, they sometimes they sometimes make decisions themselves. Now they respond better to lawyers than some of these other companies do. The one uh, the one outfit that came on our system a couple of weeks ago, PayPal closed their account and said we're keeping the money. Too bad, so sad. And then the lawyers got involved, and, and PayPal gave them the money quite quickly. So I think I think sometimes they just sort of wait and see what you're going to do about it. And if you do do something about it, you know, they'll, they'll let you take what's rightfully yours, but it can be a battle. Oh, definitely. So a merchant account as well, I guess. Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah. the thing is to have back. I mean, so would you recommend that people have backups, but just stay with mainstream and alternate provider that's not going to deplatform you right off the bat? Like, which would you recommend and why? It really depends what you're up to. I mean, I'm I some of the people I follow, people who are libertarians or, or putting out so so-called, you know, COVID misinformation, they won't even bother setting up on YouTube. 
It's like, we're just, we're just going to get canceled here. So we're not even going to bother. We're just going to set up, you know, we're going to have our website and we're setting up on rumble and whatever odyssey just from the word go. I know one libertarian luminary I follow moved his, his group from Facebook to, or MeWe just because he, he got a, he got a couple of warnings from Facebook and he just thought this is just, this is just the sign of the times. This is the writing on the wall. So I'm going to move it before, before the hammer falls. So part of it, you take the pulse and you keep an eye on things. And when you get a sense that maybe it's coming close to your turn, then you start looking for the exits. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. What's uh, you know, I guess I have to make the sign of the cross here, but what do you see is happening in the future? You know, what's, uh, what's your opinion and outlook on the landscape? Is it getting more hostile? Is it getting less? Uh, where is this going? I, w- I was asked on a show the same question about uh, four months ago. And I said, I think this gets worse before it gets better. It will get better. I think it will get better. But maybe it is starting to turn now. I, I sort of get a sense that as the pandemic goes further into the rearview mirror, I mean, let's face it, almost everybody's vaxxed and just, you know, everything is, everyone's sort of looking for a return to normalcy. Stress levels are going down. And I think there's also a kind of exhaustion of people are sick of outrage culture. They're sick of Twitter mobs and they're just kind of sick of everybody screaming at each other and telling them what to do. And I think what will happen is we're going to, the pendulum's going to go kind of the other direction for a while. I don't know how long it's going to take for that to swing. And people are just going to want to be left alone and just mind their own business. I also think that there's been a kind of disenfranchisement with the large incumbent platforms. Like, I don't know about you, but I hardly ever log into Facebook anymore. And when I do, it feels like tumbleweeds are blowing through the place. And I've been saying this for a long time, that a lot of these big tech platforms, they they act like they're impervious. They act imperial. They act like nothing can touch them. And we've seen, especially if the tech cycle has taught us anything, you can go from completely dominant to irrelevant in about 18 months. It doesn't take much. You know, today it's Facebook. To, you know, yesterday it was MySpace. And that's starting to happen. I think so, anyhow. Yeah, I, I got rid of all my, I have profiles for my business, but I literally never use, I never log into any of the social media. It's just poison to me. So I don't, I don't even it's bother. It's toxic, isn't it? Yeah. I had to, I had to delete it all from my phone because I just thought this is actually impacting my day. If I'm in the morning, I'm just mm-hmm. getting started and I flip through Twitter, like it impacts my day. And so now it's all gone from my phone. I'll log in the Twitter to like post an article and then I'm gone. It's out. And that's, that's it. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's the way to do it. I don't know. Any other uh, really interesting or unusual things you've learned from being in this space? You're, and you're kind of like the white knight defending <laughs> free speech and the right to do business. I mean, anything else you've seen or experienced that really has changed your outlook and your mindset? Well, I have an almost religious devotion to cryptocurrencies because I think it's an example of a response to exactly what we're talking about. Even though it it may seem like we're just talking about money, we're not. We're talking about the architecture of 
of networks and society. And so, I mean, you just kind of, we can open up a whole other rabbit hole here about my beliefs about, you know, I think the, the, the era of the nation state is coming to a close and we're entering into network states and crypto, you know, crypto sovereignties. And so this whole decentralization thing is a response to all of this. Now it may have seemed like a response to central banks, like their monetary policies back in 2008, but it really, that's the first wave and it's going to just radiate out from there. So I really have extreme high hopes and optimism for this, this change in architecture of the way we organize our societies. That's that, that has been, brought forth by the cryptocurrency revolution. So I talk a lot about that too on my blog and, and newsletters and stuff like that. And so for me, it's that's the evolutionary adaptive phase to this that is unfolding. Well, very good. Mark, what's the best place for people to find out more? How can they engage with you and take you know, availability of your services before before they get whacked? Don't wait. <laughs> you, you do get whacked. Do it now. My, sure. My well, easydns.com is like the website for the business. The PDF you can download at unassailablebook.com. And I blog at bombthrower.com. Okay. Is it bombthrower? Yep, .com. Excellent. Very, very subtle name, but uh, <laughs> I like it. Oh, one more question. For people sure. that, where can they get your book? I, th- I believe I got it on Kindle, but you said you, you give them away for free. Um, yeah, that's Where can people the, um, go to get your book? unassailablebook.com. You can get it there. Okay, very good. Well, Mark, thank you for coming. It's been a real pleasure and I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks for having me on, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.